Okay, let's pray before I start. Father, we thank you that we can come into your house and uh, to give you honor and glory for all that you do for us each and every day. Much of the time we take it for granted. Help us to not do so, to realize that your word is impactful, that it changes lives as it's changed our lives as believers. Help us to continue to seek it, to read it, to apply it each and every day, and that we might be found serving you and not serving ourselves. Uh, Others need to know who you are and help us to be part of that by succumbing to your will for our lives each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, last time I talked about uh, listening. So how'd you do? Did you listen and not phrase a statement while someone else was talking? Frank, we're going to have audience participation. I wasn't going to do it yet, but go ahead. I have to to admit, I'm still terrible at it. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second now. Wait a second. Rich didn't tell you anything. Here, right here. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, it it is important to slow down. It is important to listen to one another. Um, Last Saturday night, Judy and I, not last night, but a week ago last night, we went out with uh, our daughter's in-laws, Ken and Brenda. We went out to dinner, and then we went back to their house and sat around the fire and talked for almost four hours. And it, it, it's just nice to not have a phone pinging and acting like it's your boss telling you what to do. But it is so nice to just go and sit down and relax and fellowship with one another, is it not? It's, it's just a thing that in some ways has become a lost art, and and we have to not lose it because um, it certainly is a godly thing. So um, before we talked about God's written word, the importance of it to believers and it being the guide by which believers are to listen to God. God's word is convicting. It changes the heart of the believer if you believe what is written and you are repentant. Patterning your life after reading, praying, studying, And most importantly, applying what you receive from God's word via the Holy Spirit changes you and can potentially change those around you. Uh, In addition to yourself, other people watch you. They watch me, and they watch how we respond to God's word and God's guidance in our life via the Holy Spirit. Uh, the call to worship this morning was James 19, excuse me, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 26. I'm not going to read it all again right now, but I'm going to go through it verse by verse with you. And, uh, 19 and 20 start out by saying what we talked about previously. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Sometimes we're good at becoming angry, aren't we? What's even worse, sometimes we're good at staying angry. And what's worse than that is sometimes we're good at justifying our anger. I used to have students at school. (laughs) 
Okay, we start discussing the issue. Well, they made me do it. They made me angry. Oh, okay. Can you explain that to me, please? How, how does somebody make you angry? Okay, I want you to be angry right now, please. You choose to get angry. Anger is simply, <clears throat> anger here is simply justified based on somebody else's actions. And you don't have any control over that. You don't have any control over somebody else's actions. Verse 21, rid all moral filth and humbly accept the word that can save you. At times, we as believers give way too much permission to the things that control our lives, and they don't have any business doing so. It's our responsibility as believers to remove the barriers that get in the way of God using us as tools to reach others. Think about this. How many times have we not been able to reach others and reach out to somebody because we refuse to let God do the work and we get in the way? If we're honest, we do get in the way. What things have too much control over you in the eyes of the Lord? Maybe we're afraid to let go because then we have to trust to a level that makes us uncomfortable. And that's the point, really. If you truly want to become selfless and more like God and Jesus, that is the point. Verses 22 and 23, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. Much of what we heard so far this morning is about that very thing. It sounds simple, really. Do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. <clears throat> Excuse me, do what it says. The hard part is the discipline of it every day. To me, discipline's doing the right thing even when you don't feel like it. It really is. Listening, in addition to hearing, requires application in order for growth to occur. Hearing and listening is not enough. People need to see that we're different for a reason that starkly gets their attention, whether it's subtle or it's very obvious. Sometimes, as believers, we talk too much and we walk far less. While words are influential and can be powerful, it is our walk that sends a message of high volume to others. It's often the action we take when not saying a word that can infiltrate the heart and mind of another. I'm going to give you an example. When I was a young believer, and uh, Judy and I were living in Florida at the time, I had a friend that... Uh, Went to church there. We played softball together. I played shortstop. He played second base. So we got, you know, we got kind of close and, and, and became very good friends. Because when you, you know, participate in a team thing like that, you're around one another a lot. And you share a lot into each other's lives, which it was never really about softball. It was about all the conversations that we had in the downtime, frankly. And... To give you a good example of that, so this young man that played second base one Friday night in the late 80s, uh, his, his wife left their home in Kissimmee to go visit his, <clears throat> excuse me, her sister in Tampa. And he knows how long it takes to get there, and so time goes by, time goes by. He's not getting a phone call from her that she's there. Well, her sister called 
him and said, hey, you know, she's not here yet. Come to find out, short time after he got a phone call that she was tragically killed in an accident on the interstate. But what spoke, to, spoke volumes to me was Sunday morning. This was on a Friday. Sunday morning, he was in church. And we had a balcony in that building. And he was seated in the balcony. And he had sunglasses on for obvious reasons. He'd been crying profusely for quite some time. But what spoke to me was, here's a young man who's got all kinds of pain right now that he's not sure how to handle. And frankly, he was angry. How could you not be? But he was there. And to me, as a young believer, um, that said a lot about you know, him and his beliefs, etc., and I, I made sure that I told him that, too. If the truth is in us, we'll not be able to help but look in the mirror and recognize we're not good enough. We're sinners to the nth degree. Our sins are the spots that the law discovers, and Christ's blood is the labor that covers those spots. When we hear and listen to the word and study it, the word becomes our spiritual guide. Verse 25 says, he will be blessed in what he does. Man is blessed not for the deed itself, but for the motivation of doing the deed. Why do you do what you do? Especially when it comes to others. What drives you? Why do you do what you do? Later in James chapter 2, um, it speaks of faith without deeds being a dead faith. Faith must be accompanied by action. Verses 26 and 27. Our example is in vain when we attempt to seem more real than we are. Not watching our tongue is obviously important because it's spoken about again. How quickly words of unkindness fly from the tongue to the ears. A man with a slanderous tongue does not display a truly humble and gracious heart. Verse 27. It, uh, I'll read it again. It says... Um, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Looking after orphans and widows. That's literal, but it's also more than that. It means that we need to take our eyes off of ourselves and focus on others. And in doing so, you're not thinking about yourself all the time. Another reminder of listening that becomes application. I used to have to remind my mother of this. I'm sure she probably told you this, Rainy. Every time I'd go over to cut the grass, you don't need to do that. I'm fixing this. You, why, why are you doing I'm going to get somebody else to do that. No, you're not. You're not getting anybody else to do that. I'm doing it, or my other brother will do it. Well, you don't have time. I said, what does the Bible say <laughs> about taking care of widows? even if it didn't say what it says in terms of it being our responsibility, we'd still do it. It's the right thing to do. Too often the authenticity and quality of our walk is in direct proportion to the amount of permission we give the Lord to transform our life. I'm going to say that again. 
Too often the authenticity and quality of our walk is in direct proportion to the amount of permission we give the Lord to transform our life. We need to give him 100% of ourselves, right? Not 75, not 85, 100%. All day, every day. We should hit the pillow feeling somewhat empty if we've spent what he's given us. Why is that so important? Well, as believers, if you heard me at the very beginning, look, people watch what we do. They're interested in seeing how we're different, which I'm going to get into, get into here in just a minute. I really loved the band DC Talk. They used to be together way back in the day. And uh, I have several of their albums slash CDs. And there's a transition piece on the very first one from one song to the next that um, I've always found it, it very interesting. And this is what it says. It says, many times we acknowledge Jesus with our lips and then we deny him by our lifestyle. And that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's interesting. Jesus Christ desires that we set aside the desires of our heart that are selfish and not serving him. Is it my kingdom come or thy kingdom come? Is it my will be done or thy will be done? Look, we all have desires, right? We do. Whether we want to get a new car, new house, better job, there's lots of things on the list. Do we consult God in those decisions? Or do we think, hey, I got this, I know what I'm doing, I don't need any help? Well, that's, a lot of, that's what a lot of the world thinks. As believers, it's incumbent upon us to read God's word daily, frequently, so that we stay in touch and we create intimacy with God to better discern when we might be getting a message. How can we know that God is at the center of our decision-making process? It takes something called preparation. We have to prepare. What's the best way to prepare? Well, you have, we have to start by reading. When I was a freshman at Westminster and I played football, I did not see the field except to exercise at the beginning of the game, which was ultimately highly frustrating to me. However, you know what my job was? This was my job. I had a clipboard. And on my clipboard, I had all these categories, all these categories. And every time we would run a play, I had to write down everything that happened, which was quite a bit. And I had to do it in usually 20 seconds or less. Some of it was math, some of it was verbiage. I had to write it all down. Because at the end of the game, I had to hand it to my head coach, and he would take all that information, and he would compile it. And what happened was we became... Um, there's things called tendencies. You learn the things that can become predictable so that they're not predictable the next time. The art of deception is wonderful in sports. It's fun. And so I thought, I'm wasting my time. <laughs> All you do is write every week. But he was a much smarter man than I was at the time, my coach, because what happened was I learned about us, and I learned 
that I knew us better than anybody. And so there was a reason for um, him doing what he did in my respect. And it was because of preparation. Well, it's no different when we live for Christ every day. We have to prepare. How do you prepare? You've got to start by reading. Okay? We have to read daily. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 15 says this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you once lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now this scripture in 1 Peter was written to scattered Christians, mostly Gentiles around the world. And their suffering was similar to the kinds of things that we might experience today. Because they lived in a pagan world also. Being holy requires us to think differently. Conformity overtakes us beginning when we're small children, and it works on us through childhood. And it sticks with us sometimes for years. You know, do you remember the kids in the neighborhood? Do you remember going to school? You know, everybody's always worried about appearance and how we look, right? You see the purple banners behind me? In 19, I'm going to give you an image and then you can erase it, okay? In 1975, I am that old, in 1975, I had some seriously purple corduroys, just like these banners right here. When I say seriously purple, I, I mean exactly that. And they, they had, they weren't the corduroys with the nice thin lines. These things were a good quarter inch wide. And not only that, it gets better. They were raised and lowered, and raised and lowered, and raised and lowered all the way around. Big old bells at the bottom, and two pockets right here. Horizontal pockets, about four inches long, with light purple highlights. Now you want to talk about being different. The guys, Thought I was crazy. The girls loved it. <laughs> they did. I didn't want to wear them at first, but I'm like, yeah, Mom, I'll wear those. <laughs> I'll wear those to school. Oh, my goodness. I still can't believe I actually wore them. So I, I learned a little bit about being different. And we go through things, and we have to be different. We can't be afraid to be different. The effect of that can be that we as believers make decisions based on what everybody else thinks rather than applying God's word to a situation using his guidance through his spirit. We worry too much at times what people think regarding following what God has laid out for us. I'm going to get into that a little bit more in a minute. Uh, knowing about thinking and conformity is beneficial. Christian author and pastor Mark Batterson in, in the book that I've read, is, it's called Whisper. He talks about emotional intelligence and thinking. And it's pretty much what it says. Emotional intelligence and thinking. <clears throat> now, before I get into this, verse 14 of the first Peter, 
uh, says, you know, as a believer, we're not living in ignorance anymore. So there is accountability. So Batterson discusses parts of emotional intelligence <clears throat> that we as Christians need to pay attention to. And one of the things he says is you've you got to watch your ego. Serving God's not about you or your personal desires. It's about serving him. Watch your ego. Second, is it an idol? If you want something too much, you might want it for the wrong reasons. You ever been there? You wanted something so bad, and you can't understand why God won't answer this prayer that you've been praying for quite some time. You ever been there? I bet you have. And it's frustrating. Well, as I read a little bit earlier, is it my will or thy will? I remember I started praying to try to get back to Pennsylvania from Florida in 1992. And every time we would come up to visit my folks right over here, I would always touch base with a few school districts and I would drive around in my car and interview, interview, interview. Never getting anywhere. So about uh, 1996 or seven or so, Judy and I are having dinner one night and I, and I just kind of laid out my frustration with all of that. <clears throat> And this is why you surround yourself with godly people, right? It's important to have godly people involved in your life that can listen to you because they understand you differently. And my wife is one of the most godly people that I know. And I don't say that lightly. So when I laid out my frustrations, she simply said, <clears throat> well, maybe you're trying too hard. Okay, she was right, because I, I, I stopped. I stopped praying about it. I stopped worrying about it. I stopped a lot of stuff. Our daughter Jennifer is born, and a year and a half or so, two years later, uh, I put a room on our house in Florida, because I'm thinking we're staying in Florida, and <laughs> I was cleaning the air conditioner. Now, see, in Florida, you gotta you gotta keep your air conditioner in tip-top shape. So I'm cleaning this. It was disgusting. I had mold in it, the color of this. I mean, it was it was really bad, really bad. So I sprayed it all down, and I got the hose, and I'm hosing it down, and all this garbage is going to the bottom, and I'm soaking wet all in the front. And she comes to me with the telephone. School district's on the phone. They want to talk to you. I'm like, who? School district's on the phone. They want to talk to you. I don't have time right now. Look at me. They want to talk to you. So I get on the phone, and uh, it was my local school district here, which I attended. Uh, I'm talking to the uh, principal, and um, he basically said, we want you to come up for an interview. Hmm. Okay. Why? <laughs> I did. I, I said, why? And so he, he explained a lot of things to me. I said, okay, I will try to rent a car and, and I'll get there on such and such, such and such a date. So I, I didn't want to go uh, by myself at that point in time. Florida was on fire. I, I kid you not. It was burning. Central Florida was burning everywhere. There was so much smoke. My brother and I rented a car. We were supposed to have a... Um, we were supposed to have a little uh, 
like Chevy Cavalier. So when I got there, they said, oh, no, they're all, we're all out. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, I'm going to get a Chevette or something. <laughs> I got a brand-new Ford Mustang. And the lady asked me, is that okay? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. It's not a problem. We'll be fine. So we started down the road on my way up here, and I'm going down Interstate 4 north of Orlando and for probably 60, 70 miles. I kid you not, I could see from here to the wall. Uh, and that was only because I followed a semi-truck. That's how heavy the smoke was from all the woods that were on fire. It was, it was unbelievable. So got up here, interviewed, got offered the job, went back, walked in the house, told Judy. She cried like crazy. I went to work. That's exactly how it happened. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty, but anyway. Um, I think for a while there, I wanted things for the wrong reasons. Um, and when I gave up, in, in large part due to um, some godly counsel from my wife, uh, God's timing played out. I'm not going to go into the rest of the story because I could keep you here all day, but I can tell you this. Um, it was a really tremendous thing that, you know, we ended up being here because shortly thereafter my dad passed to, to be with mom to support her um, in all of that change because it was significant. Another thing Batterson mentions is this, emotion. Emotion is a terrible master. Please remember that. It's terrible. It's awful. All right? It's just not good to be emotional and make large decisions. Refrain from making decisions that are large when you're emotional. That's how money vaporizes like that. It's how we say something that we may say, oops, I shouldn't have said that, and we re regret it. Instead, pray about it. Study. Give it to God. Take it off of yourself. See where he leads you. Pay attention to it. Another thing he mentions is this. Is the thing that you desire, is it waxing or waning? Is, is the desire persistent or is it fading away? Could be indicators that the Spirit's given you guidance on what you should decide. Emotional intelligence. Think of it this way. A little bit goes a long way. It's very hard to get a grasp of and define and consistently stay emotionally balanced and intelligent. But I can tell you this. It is a significant factor in success in any vocation, no matter what job you have. It's there. Let's talk about a little bit more thinking that he, he mentions. Um, he talks about, because this is, this is important in decision-making. Do you know what convergent thinking is? Convergent thinking is, is sort of mostly closed-ended uh, answers to questions, and it requires mainly one answer. It generally does not have you um, do a significant amount of deep thinking. There's pretty much one right response. Divergent thinking is the opposite. It's very open-ended, has many possibilities for responses, and it really challenges lots of parts of the brain. Um, so, for example, I like props because I was a teacher. 
Okay, I have a, an ordinary common nail. All right, so other than the obvious, which is to hold two things together, right? If I pound it into two pieces of wood. What else can I use this for? Tell me, come on, anything. Hang a picture, that's on my list. Good luck with that. You could do that, but good luck with that. C come on, come on, you, we can do better, come on. What? A hinge pin, okay. What else? Yes, good, Ron. What else? Yes, excellent. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I have that on here, like an Etch-a-Sketch, right? You can etch something with it. You, if you're desperate, if you're really desperate, you could clean your fingernails, you know that. My fingernails aren't dirty, I just did that to demonstrate. Um, solve a dispute? Well, that depends, right? That depends. Um, you could magnetize it. Did you know that? As long as it is made out of, contains iron or cobalt, yeah. You could magnetize it. Um, so that's, that's divergent thinking. Uh, many times, both types of thinking overlap when analyzing a situation or a topic. And striking a balance and including God using both types will allow you to creatively problem solve. Sometimes, though, we try to outthink God because we think we know better. Let's look at an example in Matthew 21, if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 21. It says this, starting with verse 23. This is at the beginning of Holy Week. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Then he said, meaning Jesus, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Basically saying, why are you questioning me when you already know the answer? Um, so Jesus is analyzing the thinking of the chief priests and the elders and vice versa. They're analyzing him. And he responded to their question with a question. He immediately says, I will also ask you one question. Jesus makes explicit the fundamental question concerning the source of authority. Is it divine or is it human? So Jesus lays it out there. He draws attention to John the Baptist 
And Jesus implies that the source of John's authority is his also. Jesus further implies that anyone who correctly identifies with the source of John the Baptist's authority will also correctly identifies, or identify with Jesus' authority as well. Jesus responding with a question, he does that quite frequently. I used to do that at school all the time, and the students didn't like it. Jesus does it to put the thinking back where it belongs. I used to do it at school for the same reason. I had, uh, we used to make these catapults. And uh, if you know what a trebuchet is, it's a, it's a medieval weapon of sorts. And it was used to launch lots of things, some of which are pretty disgusting. I'm not going to get into that. But we would make these catapults in our classroom out of dowel rods, um, round metal washers, clay, and we would put a spool on one side. And so we would challenge our students to make the most efficient catapult that they could make using those items. And I specifically remember two young ladies I had um, that were, they sat right to the left of my desk. Very bright students. Um, never forgot a thing that you said. And so after they tested their catapult for X amount of time, then, uh, and I looked at their data, and then I would challenge them, okay, how can you change a variable to make your catapult more efficient? Okay, that's your goal. How can you change a variable to make your catapult more efficient? So these two young ladies, and of course you have to do the math to figure out if it is more efficient than it was before because there's a height involved and, and you do all the math. And it tells you once you do the math. And these two young ladies, Mr. Etter, this isn't possible. Because they thought that they had maxed it out. And so I, when I walked over, they would want me to tell them what to do. And so I got great joy out of saying, <laughs> how can you change one of the variables to make it more efficient. We did all that. How can you change one of the variables to make it more efficient? And, uh, you know, when you start pointing things out and make them think a little bit deeper, deeper, then it happens. It happens. And they did make it a little more efficient, even though they were never quite satisfied. So in this case, Jesus' questioning puts the true light on the condition and desires of his interrogators, the chief priests and the elders. The chief priests and the elders are in self-preservation mode. The people believed that John was a prophet, but the leaders did not. The leaders were afraid of the people. The chief priests and the elders believed that John was self-authorized. The leaders believe that their authority is corporate and more powerful, while John's is private and human. Since they don't believe John's authority by default, they didn't believe Jesus either. The chief priests and elders' unbelief rest on the fact that they do not believe in the ministries of both John and Jesus. Thus, the response of Jesus asking the leaders questions 
further makes them analyze the desires of their own hearts. If Jesus had stated that God authorized him, most assuredly the leaders would have still questioned him in such a manner as, well, how do we know God sent you? They probably would have come right back with some other question. The line of questioning by the leaders is nothing more than an attempt to trap Jesus into getting him to admit that he is self-authorized. Look, Jesus was in the temple at the beginning of Holy Week to serve, to educate, and not wield coercive power over people. He was not there to control anybody. He was there to teach and release potential in them that they had never been made aware of before that moment. And that's our call, to be open, ready, and listening as believers. It is not our responsibility. It is not our responsibility to save people. We're sinners who are saved by the grace of God. It is our responsibility to be obedient. Why? So we can be used by the Lord for furthering his kingdom. It is a way to reach others. So how do we do that? We have to read, study, pray, and apply God's word. So what are the disciplines and desires of your heart? Do you have enough study taking place in your life that when God is attempting to get your attention, you're aware? Are you aware? Are you listening? How often are you interacting with others daily, attempting to live out God's word and permit his actions to work through you to feed them? When you look in the mirror of God's word, what do you see? Hopefully, when you read, it convicts you. Hopefully, when you're listening to the music, such as we heard this morning, it convicts you. I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed singing it as well. That was very refreshing to me today. I'm sure maybe one of those other songs was very refreshing to somebody else. And again, that's the point. Find the time to read, to study, to pray, to apply God's word so that you can create more intimacy between him and yourself. And you become much more aware of him trying to reach you. You'll find he's right there waiting.